Hello, hello. I am Melanie Reef. And I'm Jessica Benoist Young. And this, and this is, is best-, best line, worst line. <laughs> we can do it together. Let's do it together. <laughs> Let's try that. <laughs> and this is it, best, best line? line, worst That's line. <laughs> That's not going to work because unless we can see each other's. I know. Let's take that intro from the top again. (laughs) Take two. I am Melanie Reese. And I'm Jessica Benoist Young. And this is Best Line. Worst Line. Where we watch TV, movies, speeches, and skits, and each decide what we think are the best and worst lines. This week, we dive into some comedy mysteries. Um, I want to talk a little bit about just um, the genre of mystery and kind of how we each have a connection to it, how we each feel about it. Because I know you, Melanie, read a a lot of like uh, mystery fiction, cozy mystery. Um, yeah. And there's a difference between like cozy mystery, which both of these films, I would say fall in that category. Uh, Do they though? Because I always thought that cozy mystery meant that there wasn't a, someone whose job was to solve the mystery. So clue would be, well, I think, I think they're both cozy mystery because like, because in the other one, I think, um, in Knives Out, I think it's cozy because it's supposed to be like Agatha Christie esque. So like, right? Agatha Christie is like the epitome of cozy mystery. So I, um, yeah, pretty much because like all I could, my brain could handle during the Trump presidency was reading um, formulaic books. I read like most mm-hmm. of the Agatha Christie canon, um, which is like Poirot, like the Poirot books and uh, Miss Marple. I haven't done some of her standalone books, um, like, and then there mm-hmm. were none, but like books like. Um, Murder on the Orient Express or my favorite is Death of Roger Ackroyd and they're like pretty formulaic and I mean for me it's it's really comforting and I think for a lot of people that's why the genre does so well but like I grew up watching cozy mysteries um, like mm-hmm. I grew up watching Murder She Wrote with my mom and my grandma which like you know 25 minutes in the person everybody hates dies 30 minutes in the wrong person's arrested and then 10 minutes from the end Angela Lansbury tells you how it's done and like it ends with a frame of her laughing. So Right. Like that And they and so I should we should say really quick, um w- the two movies that we watched were Clue from nineteen eighty five and Knives Out from two thousand nineteen, in which there is a short clip of Murder She Wrote. And I what I watched this with my husband and I said he said something like, oh, I forgot about that show. I used to watch that all the time. And I said, you know, I used to watch it all the time, too. And I had no idea what was going on because I was like a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like a little kid. But I thought that Jessica was just so cool. And like that was the only Jessica on TV at the time. There were a lot of Jessies, but there weren't any Jessicas. So like the only person I had to watch, you know, when I was like an eight-year-old kid looking for somebody on TV or in a movie with my name was uh, an old lady solving mysteries and typing on a typewriter. Well, I mean... I guess that was formative in some way. (laughs) I mean, it is very... I mean, she is iconic. Um, and like with that show, she's just so great. And it's so, it's just so comforting. There's so much like 
it's so funny you say like you didn't know what was going on because you were a kid when you're watching it like I think I've seen the entire series like three times like easily because it's just like my show that I put on when I'm sick it's like mm-hmm. just a comforting show and so like that whole genre the very predictable like any British mystery like there's so many on TV that are so yeah. well done that like, I consider the genre like lighthearted murder which like we can unpack that later right like, because it's like not because <laughs> it's not the same as like a thriller it's not a gone girl it's yeah not- see I am not big into like the more the more suspenseful mysteries and I don't read them and which is hilarious that like, I don't read mystery really at all it, occasionally I'll pick up like an old Agatha Christie or but I don't really read cozies I don't read any of the like more actiony suspense ones like you know the Pattersons and those types of things um I grew up with like everyone in my family reading them mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and I tried and I did not like them. And then I wrote one. <laughs> and that was kind of the whole thing is like, um, I started writing this book as a straight mystery. And it was not working because I did not enjoy it. I didn't enjoy reading it myself. Right. And so I kind of had to be like, well, what if I wrote this like I was kind of making fun of those books? Is that strip search? And then it all worked. Yeah. And then that was strip search. Um, That's so funny. It, I had no I idea you had really be like, that. no, I, I wrote half of a book as a straight mystery. And I literally and I like left I left it for a little while. I think I moved and got a new job and stuff. And then I like picked it back up about six months later and I read it and I was like, I hate this. I hate it so much. <laughs> um, And nowhere in there was the character of Samson. Oh, interesting. and I was like, OK, so I need I really need to write this to be something I would want to read. So it needs to kind of reflect the fact that I don't like reading this genre. (laughs) Um, And I kind of want to poke fun at like the things about it that bother me a little bit and make, make it more lighthearted, even though, you know, the body count just stacks and stacks and stacks, you know, (laughs) like in Clue. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) yeah. So it's like, it's, it's definitely an interesting tightrope to walk. Like, how how are you going to make this funny? And Clue does it Masterfully. very well. <laughs> very well. Well, and thinking about, like, how... I guess we can like start getting into our conversation about Clue. Thinking about how Clue, like, you know, evolved. Like, the genesis of Clue is a board game. Like that, yeah. It's a board yep. game, and then it was a stage show. Did you ever see it when they did it at Country Dinner? Yes, uh, twice. Okay, I saw it because I didn't believe them when they said. So for some for some background, uh, we both did children's theater at a place in Inglewood, Colorado, Ish, um, yeah. called Country Dinner Playhouse. May it rest in peace. Um, and the, our, our directors and our instructors at, uh, our extracurricular theater academy both did the main stage shows at this country dinner playhouse and they did Clue the Musical. And I think that Clue the Musical was, was fairly new when they did it. I think so too. I think it came after the movie. I'm, mm. 
I think so. I think that's correct. 97. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I didn't believe Paul, our director, Paul. I did not believe him that because he was Mr. Body. He was Mr. Wadsworth Body. Or whatever. And I was like, you guys, there's no way you guys can. I was 12 or something like that. And just being um, contrary. But I was like, you can't do a different thing every night. You can't. So I, he was like, well, you need to come again. <laughs> so I did. Like, I came like two weeks later and they, yep, it was totally different. I don't know how they did it to this day. It still blows my mind. And I think of being an actor having to do that. And I'm just like, I, what? No. It would it would give me so much anxiety, <laughs> so much anxiety to be in that show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember seeing it. I mean, I was pretty young when I saw it, um, and I remember like the ending that they had. But I feel like there there was like a like ending that was based on the cards that the audience drew, and then like a real ending. But like, I feel like there was something with Mrs. White that they like that capped like the show. You know, maybe maybe yeah. I'm misremembering it because I was you know, over 20 years ago, but I just remember like loving it so much. And I think that they were like set to do it again, but then, you know, closed. Um, yeah. As I said, may it rest in peace. But so clue the movie was before that. And I, and I know like when it came out initially, it was like a total flop. Oh yeah. 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 Because I mean, and so much of that is because the three endings were shown, like they weren't shown sub subsequently. So like one of the most ingenious things about, clue the movie is that it has these three like well this is how it could have happened endings because mm -hmm. that's the game like it it's a different ending and when it originally came out they showed him like you didn't know which one you were getting you weren't getting all three and so i right. could totally see like there are some endings that are stronger than the others like i think the way that they do it in the movie where it's like i think it's like the mrs peacock ending and then like the scarlet ending i think it's scarlet mm -hmm. plum and white Scar is that right yeah and then, well, there's the Scarlet one, and then the Peacock one, and then everyone. And then everyone. Like, everyone does one. And, like, that's yeah. the way it should end. Like, absolutely. That's the right ending for the movie. That's the only way I... Well, because I was not... I was a, a newborn child when this movie came out, and you were not born yet. So we didn't see it in the theater. So I just saw it on VHS where they showed it, you know, like, boom, boom, boom. I think there is an option on the DVD where, like, you can watch... You can. A random one. Yeah. yeah. And, but like, to me, if I, like, if I didn't only saw like the Peacock or the Scarlet ending, like, of course that wouldn't make sense. Like, I think it has to be all of them. Like, that would be the ending that I'd want to see. And so I totally understand why that didn't work. But it just like looking back on it now, like, I'm so glad it got the cult status because the cast is so good. Like, such pro comedians. The writing is so sharp. Um, the it, it kind of blows my mind that it wasn't so, it, it didn't see a claim at its release because this script like god it's like the script is solid mm -hmm. the the delivery of every line like every single line has a purpose every single line has plot and humor just packed into it and then it's all delivered perfectly and then there is top tier a grade physical humor all, all over, over the this place. movie and none of it is over the top no it, it's it's like this movie is literally well 
And then when you look at the cast, like it's damn near perfect to the point where I'm just going to say, I think it's perfect because I cannot find a single thing wrong with it. I can't like, either. And then when you look at the cast, it really like, is so good. Tim Curry, who like anything Tim Curry does is astounding. You have mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn, who just like ugh, a plus comedian, if there ever was one. Mm-hmm. Eileen Brennan, who is, I think, so underrated. Michael McKean, who is terrific. Christopher Lloyd, uh, George Mull, uh, Leslie Ann Warren. Did you, um, did I tell you that I recently found out that Leslie Ann Warren was not the original Scarlet? Yeah, we were talking about this. Yeah, that it was supposed to be Carrie Fisher. And yeah. I- so I have something to say about that. Let's let's jump in because I okay. wrote this in my notes and I had this conversation while I was watching the movie and Trevor was kind of coming okay. in and out. So what do you want to do? first worst line or best line i think like let's go with worst line because that was so much okay. easier for me like i know like best line i'm still not sure like I, there's just so <laughs> many but worst line i do know what like i know what line always just like irks me whenever i watch the movie um so so my worst line is actually the final line of the entire movie oh it is and now I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. And I just, so, so the backstory on that, if you haven't watched the movie, um, is that throughout the rest of the film, you think that Mr. Green is a homosexual and that that's why he's being blackmailed by Mr. Body. In the final reveal, I guess you find out that, Tim Curry actually is Mr. Body and that Mr. Green is not who he says he is. He's not being blackmailed. He works for the FBI. And he kind of solves the whole case and the FBI comes storming in and he says, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. And I just think that's unnecessary. And I don't think it's funny. I never thought it was funny. I mean, I used to, I watched this kid, this movie when I was a little kid and, you know, my mom had to like explain. Right several different things in the movie to me you know the more oh. sex related things there's a lot of innuendo like and so i just remember being like why what's the point i don't get it it doesn't make sense we don't and if you think about it, it when we, what we were just talking about like I, I just like dissected this line to to try to get to the root of like why i personally don't like it and i don't think it has a place and and for for a moment i was like okay so so it's like they felt like they needed to make this cultural statement mm-hmm. in 1985 about how he wouldn't want to be misconstrued as gay in the 50s which makes sense except we had two other scenarios where that's just who he wasn't and we don't feel like we need to say anything about it and i mean i think it plays you could have gone to the theater you could have gone to the theater and left and gotten one of the two previous endings and mr green was just gay and that was fine and it is fine like right absolutely so why couldn't like and it's not funny no and here's where the carrie fisher bit comes in is i so i'm telling this to my husband and i'm like it's just not a funny line and and he's like well are the other endings better and i'm like no in fact 
The other one is slightly transphobic. And then the other one, there is not really a line. That's true. It's just the chandelier crashing. And I was like, so actually, this is where I will say the movie is not perfect, is that the endings do not match the humor and the energy of the movie. And guess who would have fixed that because she is the punch-up script Dr. Queen? Carrie Fisher. Miss Carrie Fisher. Though I do not think that she would have been right for the part, if that makes sense. Oh, I think- Not that she wouldn't have done a great job, but I think that, that Leslie Ann Warren really came with this, like, much more confident, brazen, overt sexuality yeah. that I don't think that Carrie Fisher would have been capable of bringing at that point in her life. No. Uh, because the, re- the reason that she, well, she just wasn't that type of person. Um, and she never really played any of her parts that way. Right. And I think she was a lot younger, too. Right. I mean, I think- but she, the reason that she couldn't do the film was because she had just been uh, admitted to rehab yes. um, for the second time. I mean, like literally three days before they were supposed to start filming. So right, which is why Leslie Ann Warren had to jump in. So the way Leslie mm-hmm. Ann Warren got the role was because she's married to one of the producers, and so like mm-hmm. four days before, when they're like, "We need an actress," it was like, "Well, I guess my wife can do it." <laughs> and like, yeah, which I also like. I'm just like, how would you, I mean? Obviously, I think she's a great sport who's willing to like jump in and do anything. But like, how would you? <laughs> How would you feel <laughs> like your husband's just on the phone on this like crisis producer call and you're like what hanging out watching TV or like getting yourself some wine from the kitchen or whatever. And he's like, yeah, my wife can do it. And you're just like, wait, what am I being signed up for? <laughs> like, right. Well, and she's I just do what now. <laughs> and she's so perfect in this role. Like it's she such really an iconic is. Leslie. Like, I mean, I've seen like a lot of other Leslie and Warren movies, but, like, this is the role that I think, like, encapsulates Leslie and Warren oh, to me. Um, to your mm-hmm. point about the ending line, it's so funny you said that because one of my – or my worst line was one that you referenced, which was one of the other endings, which is, Mrs. Peacock's a man? Because, yes, it is transphobic. Yeah, it really and is. It's just – it's so interesting because, like, as we've said, like, I think – this movie has so, so many high points. And then you look at it of like, and for both those endings, it was made in 1985. And that's like not an excuse for it at all. Right. But hey, it was made in 1985 to be representing the 1950s. So like taken in that context, those lines make sense. But are they necessary? No. And I think like... And- and they're just not really even that funny. No, you know, absolutely not. They got they got all this other humor shoved into all these places that you wouldn't expect, and then all of a sudden we're going for the the low hanging fruit, right? I mean, on those two, and they just don't play out. They're just no. not really all that funny. You're, I think that's it. It's just the low hanging fruit because all of the other lines, all of the other humor in the movie is so quick, so witty, and like. Mm-hmm. how many times have i watched this movie and found a new joke each time because it's oh, yeah. so smart and so so subtle in so many ways and those are just like not subtle not funny and like i think michael mckean is great and those are both his lines. i think oh yeah, yeah, yeah for the one that you said that like i'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife it plays it doesn't bump me also as much that's a completely inappropriate thing to say in real life like nobody would say no it's it's like yeah exactly (laughs) everybody would be like ew why what right don't talk to me about your sex life i just met you (laughs) right and like i mean i 
that one didn't bump me as much as the other one, mainly because like it plays into the whole, like he was pretending, like he was pretending that he was somebody else, like who, like we didn't know that he worked for the FBI. And so it's like his cover, I guess. Right. But again, it's like an unnecessary line. Um, I did have like a secondary worst line just because I think it's just like meh. Um, And it's where, and it kind of goes to the same thing of like, this is just like, an unnecessary way to say this like the so it's when Yvette gets murdered and you're like did anybody recognize you they did I wrote it down yeah but um and not just my face my whole they body every, they know every inch oh. of my body and then it's you yeah. it just always is like it just is yeah. like oh, that could have been done so much better but and whether that is a script thing or a performance thing or whatever it just always bumps me, but not as much as the endings do. So, yeah, I totally right. agree with you there. It, it is very strange to me when I started thinking about that. And same thing, like, you know, it it wasn't just the one. It was both of them. And I was like, oh, oh, ugh. like both of them just bothered me. And then when I re- then when I was like, it's both the endings like that was just so it's just so strange to me that like. Like they lost steam. Yeah, or or like I will gosh, say, gosh, there just had to have been better buttons for for this for a movie like this. There had to have been because in the Miss Scarlet one, like yes, we don't really have a line, but that whole exchange—that's what I was just going to say—is one so of good. the best bits so of good. comedy ever. So that really does put like that is a great way to cap it off. Um, even if you don't have like that zinger of a final line that perfect button we have a physical humor callback perfect we don't need a line because we just had one of the best like comedic exchanges in film ever that's exactly what i was gonna say the one plus two plus two plus one the one plus two plus one plus one it's one plus two plus one plus one not one plus one i mean it's so it goes to exactly what we were saying about why the movie works so well is it subtle like that shouldn't be funny on paper it's not funny i mean it is (laughs) but it's all in the delivery and how they Mm -hmm. interact together and then as they're taking her away, while it starts one plus two, and then the gun goes off plus one, uh-huh. plus one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great, and so it it makes sense, um, and it's funny, and like so that ending to me, I think, is for that purpose. Like button wise, I think that's the best. Plot wise, I think the one where they all do it is the best ending. Yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, the one that I've never liked, like just been like meh about, is the peacock ending. I'm like, ugh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it never quite landed like the other two did for mm-hmm. me, for sure. Although the she's a good, jolly good fellow. Um, when you get to hear Madeline Kahn and Leslie Ann Warren just like belt in harmony, yes. Well, I'm just so. <laughs> I was ridiculous. always like, whoa! It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> um, and I mean, speaking of Madeline Kahn, if we're gonna transition into best line, I so best line was hard, <laughs> and I mean, I think you did it. You did it. I, you chose the famous one. I didn't. I didn't. Um, you didn't. No. Okay. Which one is so, it? Okay, okay. So we. So we should say disclaimer. We will always say if there's a famous line from the movie and if we chose it or we did not. Clearly, uh, one of the things I, I think this ha- this movie has kind of had like two cult awakenings, and it has had this one when I was uh, like you know a preteen teenager. Yeah it started to pick up a lot of steam and really be recognized for uh, for the comedy genius that it was. 
And then it's kind of had a second one With recently here. Yes. Be- and because, and, and people use this, this line, the flames on the side of my face. Okay. So here's so much. I hated her. So, well, and you even did it. There's so much. So like, I hated her yep. so much flames on the side of my face. And the reason I didn't choose that line, A, because it's the easy line to choose. It's not a complete line. It's not a complete line. And not, it was improvised. made it up, I think. Yeah, it was improvised. <laughs> Um, it's a great line. She performs it so well. I love that you see the cast like look at her like you're freaking crazy. What and it, because like the hey, they're in character, but it's also right. like because she's improvising the whole thing, and it's so good. <laughs> and that has become the like iconic line from this movie. But I will say, so this before I get to what I chose as my best line, I want to do my honorary Madeline, uh, Madeline Kahn uh, reel because I have so many lines of Mrs. White's. That- down that I just like couldn't decide so this is my best line Miss White Mrs. White montage (laughs) which is like breaking our rules a little bit but I I couldn't no I it's funny I have the exact same thing but with um Wadsworth okay so this is my Madeline (laughs) Kahn montage it's a matter of life after death he's dead now I have a life (laughs) um Wadsworth and Mrs. White but he was your second husband your first husband also disappeared that was his job. Yes, he was an illusionist, but he never reappeared. He wasn't a very good illusionist. He was a very good illusionist. <laughs> and then, yes, just the five. Husband should be like Kleenex. Soft, strong, soft, and disposable. <laughs> Mr. Body threatened to send the pictures to my dear old mother. The shock would have killed her. That would have been quite an achievement since she's already dead. That one's not as good. And then, obviously, the flames on the side of my face. But there are just so yeah. many iconic Madeline Kahn moments. And I just, I, I think I was telling you this. Madeline Kahn is like one of my favorite comedians mm-hmm. for my job. We had to write like best names for uh, different color cars. And I was like, if I had a white car, I would name it Madeline Kahn and see how many people got it because yeah. of Mrs. White. <laughs> and it would just be like so niche and whatever. So, okay. What's your Wadsworth montage? Okay. This has always been, and this is, this has always been my favorite line in the movie. And it was almost my best line, but I don't think it quite fit what I was looking for in a best line. But the scene where they find Mr. Body in the bathroom dead for a second time. And he's like, that's what we're trying to figure out. We're trying to figure out who killed him, where, and with what. I'm like, thank you for just ca- you know, like a nice little nod to the game. Exactly. Right? And he's shouting and they're like, you don't have, why are you shouting? Stop shouting or whatever. I'm not shouting. All right, I am. I'm shouting. I'm shouting. And then he gets hit in the head. I've just always loved that. Like, I'm not shouting. And then he realizes he's I shouting. Am. I'm I, shouting. That's sh- one of the funniest things ever. Like, so oh, good. So good. And I loved, and this is kind of a Mrs. White thing, too, because she's kind of like trying to seduce him. I forget the context. She's trying to get a, the weapon from trying to get weapons from him or something i don't know i i I totally forget i just watched this last night but she's like grabbing his his shirt and she's like someday i'm gonna thank you oh we'll be alone together and he says mrs white no man in their right mind would be alone alone together with you Mm -hmm. great line uh colonel mustard says are you trying to make a make me look stupid in front of the other guests and he says you don't need any help from me that's right (laughs) that's right And this was also almost my best line. It kind of plays into the whole idea around my best line. I'm going to say it's like best line runner up for me. And 
Uh, he decided to put his info to good use and make a little money out of it. What could be more American than that? You want to know something funny? That's mm. my best line. It's your best line. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, I mean, it's that's just so, it. That's... It's, it's so. I mean, there are so many good lines in this movie. It's hard to like. I think it, it was hard for some of our other criteria in other movies that we've done. It was like looking at a best line that like encapsulates the theme of the film or anything. And this one is just so hard because the mo- the movie's a farce. It's like, it's not right. Not like you're going to get a, a line that, like perfectly sums up the theme or like the, the message of the movie in ways that we have in before. And right. that one is just like, so like dead on so well played. So that was my best. Well, line. That's the thing that kind of blows me away about this movie is they were able to i mean you'd sit there and think okay we've gotten we have gotten a plethora of movies based on board games and video mm-hmm. games and all that stuff and and not, and, and i'm not, i'm going to say like not just video games like that have a high concept high plot already built into them we've gotten sonic the hedgehog like that type of thing where the the, the game didn't really have a plot you know it had a gimmick it had characters but the uh-huh. sonic the hedgehog didn't have a plot and so these these movies where we're having to like battleship and that kind of thing where we're having Never to make it. a plot out of i didn't see it either you know where we're making a plot where a plot didn't really exist mm-hmm. you know and that they were able to take this board game in 1985 they were able to take this this board game and cram it full of so much plot and then make all of that plot funny okay see i would argue that this does the the, the game does have a plot because you are trying it to solve a murder but like right and like there are so many like when i was a kid i mean as i said i've been a mystery official like since encyclopedia brown in the second grade like mysteries have been one of my favorite genre so like cl- there were clue books that were kind of like oh yeah yeah i read them yeah uh-huh. they were like i loved them kind of like the encyclopedia brown ones where there'd be like a like they'd set it up and you'd flip to the end and like find the ending so you could kind of guess it um and so i definitely read some of those growing up and so they there's definitely like an inherent plot to the game absolutely but none of those plots included nuclear fusion washington dc intrigue and here's my line communism is just a red herring that was my second line (laughs) that was my other (laughs) choice and you taught so if you were to explain this movie to somebody and not mention that it is a comedy it plays it works it's a real thing. This okay. is all real stuff. This is all like serious stuff that was really happening. Right. We're in the beginning of the Cold War. We're in the post-nuclear age. Like all of this stuff. And they talk about all of it and it all works. And then they make it hilarious. And I jealously like hate them for this. It's Let's really talk about the writers. Does. The writers real quick. Jonathan Lynn wrote the screenplay and directed the movie. He also directed one of my all-time favorite movies that we will have to do on this show, My Cousin Vinny. Would you believe me if I say I've never seen it? <gasps> I would believe you. I would believe you. It's a little before your time. Um... <laughs> and I also think it wasn't quite the movie. Like, like I feel like that's definitely uh... one that your parents would have been like, 
we're watching where it's like not necessarily no, no. really actually no I went and found it it's amazing like when I was in college I don't even know I, I don't even know I think I I think it was a spin-off of my like Martin Scorsese obsession that started in late high school okay. and I would go watch a bunch of Martin Scorsese and then I was like what well, you know I, I probably did like a uh, very early internet deep dive on like Joe Pesci because I was like Joe Pesci's great, and then I w- ended up at like uh, where I went to school uh, or where I did my freshman year of college was the University of Kansas and downtown Lawrence or like Old Town Lawrence. Um, it's called Mass Street. It's Massachusetts Street, and they had an old, old. I don't even know if it's still there. I've been in a long time. They had an old fashioned like rental video rental store and i used to just go in there and see what they had and i think that's when i watched it so i was like yeah i was like 19 and i just went by the rental place on mass street and was like sure i'll watch some i was like joe pesci and i had known about marissa Marissa like winning the oscar for it yeah and then i was like ralph macchio (laughs) i'm watching this movie and it is we're okay we're gonna do that okay we're doing it okay i'm gonna say like maybe we'll just do it next it is a fantastic movie um and yes so he directed it and then uh, john landis mm-hmm. has done a bunch of stuff uh he's credited with the story here's here's an interesting bit of trivia for you he wrote and produced the michael jackson thriller video really i didn't i yeah you know, i think i did know that because um so there's a podcast that i listen to called go fact yourself um plug for go fact yourself it's on the maximum fun network and the whole like idea of go fact yourself is they bring on like celebrities and they have them choose like three topics they're experts in and then they create a quiz based on one of those topics and for somebody i don't remember which episode it was that they they chose clue the movie and mm-hmm. I think and they brought, they mentioned that well and then they always bring on like an expert guest to like they have like five quick facts that they ask and then they have their like cluster fact which is like a multi-part question and they bring on like an expert guest to like answer it and they interview them a little bit about whatever the topic is and I think it was either I can't remember if it was John Landis or if it was Jonathan Lynn who was the um, guest but I think they talked about that Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that one out. It's a great podcast. Um, Question. Mm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Answer. You go first. Question. Do you consider Wadsworth's explanation as one line? Mm. Because I was trying to figure that out. Because, and I, and I ultimately, for the purposes of brevity, <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't chose not to choose that as my because I can't read that whole thing. But it's so minimally, it's so minimally interrupted, and the interruptions don't add anything, don't take away from what he's doing. That I think you could construe Wadsworth's explanation as one line. I think you as a as a, a complete monologue because you could take most of the other lines out and have him just keep going kind of for the most part i think you could which makes it a really 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 amazing line 
and one of the best delivered lines in a comedy ever. He it is just like something came over Tim Curry in in that scene or in those scenes together all these little scenes of him running around the house like he just cut he just turns into like a different this like it's ethereal pure pure comedy being like (laughs) it's just incredible it is so amazing it's so good i think for for me i would say it's different lines because it's broken up by like yeah punctuation of like I mean, even though it's like not broken up by like lines necessarily, it's broken up by action. And so I feel like there are different beats in it, which would make it different True. lines. I mean, it's a hell of a monologue. So then but... what's the, what's the, I like, then I think I like the first yeah. part the best when they're in the dining room and he's like, Mrs. White's out here and Mr. Plum's out here. And, and you had a letter and you had a letter and you had a letter and you had a letter. It's perfect. It's amazing. I really it's love so when he pretends to, like when he goes through the, like when Green, Slaps peacock yes. screaming, and yes. he's like, "Well, it's I, had, so to I had to stop screaming." It is so, it is so dead on. Like you could close your eyes, and he sounds just like how like Michael McCain says it. It's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, we could obviously talk about this movie all day. I think I'm going to say oh, yeah. one more thing. It's really interesting. Like looking back at reviews, um, like Siskel and like we are talking about how great we think the script is. Like looking back at reviews, Siskel and Ebert, when they reviewed it in 85, were just like, the script is really thin, despite an all-star cast. And it's just, I know. And it's like, I think the script is so good. The script is packed. But like, maybe, I mean, partially it's interesting because like, maybe without, like, I I really do think the cast is what makes this movie. Like the cast, the filming, like the whole production of it. And I think with, with a less adept cast, which is like one of the reasons I think Carrie Fisher would have been wonderful, but I just cannot see it. Um, right, because the cast is really what makes it magic to me. Like that, the performances is it's a, like the script is good, but the cast is what brings it to the next level. Absolutely. So I don't know. I find that interesting, and like I mean, I generally disagree, or have generally disagreed with Siskel and Ebert. So, which is one of the reasons that a remake scares me. Mm, Not I that I don't I think. I mean, they're going to it can be done um but you're right there is this thing of when you have a certain cast come together Mm -hmm. um there is just this thing that you're never going to recapture and so maybe a remake would be a good movie in and of itself and have merit but like you're never going to best like this magical (laughs) once in a lifetime thing that happened with the first one you're just not right and i mean this begs the, this goes to my like general argument of like why do we need to like there are so many movies that like we right. just don't need to read like back to the future don't touch it like princess bride please don't like so many things right. like they're, they're they don't need to be remade make other stories there are some that are like okay yeah that could use an update but like don't touch it it's so well done the first time i don't know yeah yeah, I think we talk a lot about like movies that are perfect or near perfect and mm-hmm. I think if you've achieved that status there's no there's no reason. No. Like what are you hoping to accomplish? If you just want to do if you just are this person who like really likes that movie and you'd kind of want to do a reimagining then do 
a reimagining that is so imaginative that it's diff- a t- yeah. completely I mean, different movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just do a different movie, right? Pay homage. Right. Make it similar. Do a different movie. Like, is the filming you know? dated or go the Grease 2 route and like call it Grease, call it like Clue 2 and like right. make it a different story. <laughs> like, don't, don't, you know, because like arguably, like I think Grease 2 is not a good movie but also a great movie like oh i i enjoy the hell out I of love a good Grease Grease Two day <laughs> but like i mean i would say that's like that would be my one thing about this anyway i think we have like sufficiently sufficiently covered our absolute love of clue and yeah i have one little thing okay um i want to say and i just so not not best line not even the funniest line but i was watching this movie you know with a little bit more of an analytical eye and ear and i came across this scene that i was like oh this is kind of me every time i go to a party or am like left alone at a bar like I live in a small town. What will generally happen is I will like start with a group of people mm-hmm. and we'll get to the bar. And then, well, I mean like pre pandemic, I have not been hanging out in bars <laughs> during the past couple of years. Um, but like, you know, we'd, we'd start at like an event my small town has a lot of like events, you know, uh, trivia and, um, art walks and that type of thing so we would be together as a group and then we would mosey on down to the bar and then like whatever group I started off with would have their like one or two drinks and then they'd all go home and I would be like not ready to go home yet and so then I would end up like with some other group of people that I know but not as well so or and I moved here many years ago with my husband and knew none of these people. So anytime we'd go to somebody's house party or somebody's lake party, or, you know, we'd get together with his friends. Mm -hmm. Anyway, here is this uh, quick little monologue that sort of encapsulates wannabe outgoing extroverted Jessica inserting herself (laughs) in like forcing social activity in new settings okay (laughs) (laughs) well someone's got to break the ice and it might as well be me i mean i'm used to being hostess it's part of my husband's work and it's always difficult when a group of new friends meet together for the first time to get acquainted so i'm perfectly prepared to start the ball rolling i mean i we talked delicious. so much about Madeline Kahn and Leslie Ann Warren and I said it before I think Eileen Brennan is so underrated in this that she had one of my other favorite lines too when they're when they split back up again and they're going they go down into the basement her and professor plum and professor plum says what are you afraid of a fate worse than than death and she says no just death isn't that enough (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think she's so underrated because the like madeline khan takes a lot of focus and like of the women i mean the men are great too but i really think the women are like oh absolutely um and she's just so underrated she had another one of mine as well 
And I think I wrote it down. Where was it? Um, but I think, oh, the it's it's the exchange between her and Yvette. And, well, if you'll excuse me, I have to. Or, or is there a ladies' room in the hall? And we, we, Madame. No, I just want to powder <laughs> no, my nose. Just to powder my nose. <laughs> so like so silly and just subtle and so good. And I mean, I think it's just underrated performance. And her costume is really truly everything. Anyway, I love this movie. I could talk about it forever, but let's get into Knives Out because, shockingly, you had never seen it, and it—I had never seen it. Shocks me that you didn't see it. I had had this one person, this one friend of mine, for three and a half years or so, telling me that I needed to watch it, and I kept saying I was going to do it. Who could that be? Who was that friend? (laughs) And she was right. She was so right. And I well, was the whole time I was watching it. I was like, I can't believe I'm I'm just now watching this movie. Well, and good thing you have a friend like is, that. Yes. In fact, I told other people that you told me to watch this movie, and they watched it before I did. <laughs> well, people would like. To, I'd say, oh, I need to watch Knives Out. Melanie says it's really good, and that I would really like it. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to watch that one or not. And then I talked (laughs) to a couple of them last night and they're like, oh, yeah, I watched it a long time ago. I'm like, oh, my God, what is wrong with me? (laughs) I'm very bad about this type of thing where I'm like, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this. And then I forget about it for like I stick it on a watch list Mm -hmm. and I forget about it for like months at a time. Yeah. I do that with a lot. I have oh, a lot of movies. I have a running list of movies. It, uh, there was a whole joke that like, my, my best friend in college was like, I can never tell you to watch a movie that I want you to watch because you will not watch it if I tell you to watch it. I'm like, that is correct. Like, <laughs> so many movies that I have not seen because like, I have just this running Meanwhile, list. Meanwhile, I pay money for House of Gucci <laughs> and I watch that. I feel bad about that. <laughs> I am still, still upset that you made me watch that movie. Um, I was just telling somebody yesterday, I was like, telling or, or we watch, or we watch Annette. Oh, also upset about that. <laughs> I mean, I will say for Annette, like, some, I was talking to somebody about that recently. I'm glad I watched it. I'm like, I don't know why, but I am. Because it's like a good talking point. I was telling somebody yes. recently that I was like, I don't, I mean, like, I didn't enjoy it, but like, I appreciated no. it. Like, I get it. I mean, I don't get it, but like, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what I did with that time. <laughs> We both were just like, what the hell is Other than watch a film, a well-made film with very good performances Mm -hmm. that I have no smart things to say about, but I tried for days afterward to say smart things about it just to try and make it make sense in my head. But that's a different episode of this show, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Maybe not. Hopefully not. Probably not. I am going to say right now, definitively. No, never. Absolutely not. But let's get into the episode here. Um, Knives Out. So for those of you who have not seen Knives Out, I'm going to just say spoiler alerts ahead. Um, yes. So it is a cozy mystery and it is like true cozy mystery. You have a detective who comes in. It is it is in a big house. It is a detective who comes in to solve this mystery. You have your cast of characters, all of whom can be suspects. They're all interviewed. It is set up exactly like an Agatha Christie book would be with some modern twists because it takes place in 2020 or 2019, whenever it was like somewhere in the late 
2018s. Um, and one thing I want to say about it is like, I saw the movie and then quickly after seeing the movie, I read, I was working my way through the Poirot canon, Agatha Christie's Poirot. And um, there's a book called um, Poirot's Christmas. Um, oh. Her <laughs> Poirot's Christmas. And um, the the plot of Poirot's Christmas is very, very, very similar to Knives Out. When you were watching it yesterday, you texted me early on and you were like, I'm surprised they're getting out so much of this Marta plot at the beginning because like, it seems like you have the murder happen um, or you have the dead person, Harlan Coben, or not Harlan Coben, that's an actual writer. Um, Harlan Zombie is found with his throat slit he's a mystery writer and you have this whole like oh my gosh he committed suicide all of this and then it's like "Mm, do are things really as they seem and then you early on as Blanc is interviewing the suspects one of the suspects or Marta who is his nurse um can't tell a lie she has what Blanc calls a regurgitative reaction to mistruthin which Mm -hmm. is just a great line um fantastic Everything he said was just amazing. Yes. And so she um, explains, well, I guess she doesn't explain necessarily to him. She tells, um, she tells another character that like, she thinks she actually killed him because she made a mistake with the medicine. And so we get this plot out like very early in the movie Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, if she did it, then like, where's the mystery? And so you had texted me that and I was like, just keep watching the movie. I mean, I knew that there was going to be a twist. I knew that there was more mystery. What, what, and I knew, obviously, we're not going to have this big family of wacko suspects without one of them being involved somehow. What I thought, and this goes to kind of the genius of the script, is it didn't leave much room for anyone else to be involved so that's where it was i think if it had been something a little different my mind would have been going to these other possible things but it just seemed the very like straightforward it seemed so straightforward and so it didn't it it didn't leave much room it didn't leave a lot of wiggle room it seemed very much like well this is what happened so so much to the point where i was like really grasping at these like wildly imaginative straws in my brain trying to figure out like what actually happened how early on in the movie did you realize who the actual murderer was or maybe not actual murderer but like the main person um not as early as i should have okay like pretty darn close to when it was going to be revealed anyway. I think I realized it when they were like, when he was taking her to the different places, I was like, there's something about the Chris Evans character. Yeah. There was definitely something about his like very quick, calm, willing involvement with Marta where I was like, something is uh-huh. off, and I think but that- he plays it so well that, and you don't get to know the character very well before that. So you're like, oh, this is just how he is. He's just a nice guy. But it, it, but it still felt off enough for me how, you know, I don't know. It was just done very well. It was all done very well, especially on his part. I think that yeah. was a great character. He did such a great job. Well, and I think 
I mean, a side note, I think Chris Evans, this was like one of his first like major roles other than other than Captain, Captain America. America. Yeah. I mean, he had other ones, but like after Captain America, this was one of his first major roles. And it's such a departure from right. that character. And mm-hmm. it's so good because it's it, it just really is a great move as an actor. Um, for me, I think this is where like reading a lot of cozy mysteries and Agatha Christie in particular really like help me kind of piece things together because I kind of like clocked him earlier on because it was like, okay, he's almost playing into it too much. Whereas like, he was too interested. Yeah. Whereas like Jamie Lee Curtis was, uh, I mean, phenomenal. Same thing with Tony Collette. It's just like, they were obviously suspects and could have done it. And I mean, they, they all could have. And like, again, this cast is just incredible as well. And they all could have done it. But it also was like, which one, like, it didn't make sense for any of them. And it was almost like they were all too, like, Michael Shannon as Walt Thrombey, like, that didn't make sense. The Nazi kid didn't really make sense. Don Johnson, I think Don Johnson might have been, like, the most, like, of the other family that I would put there. But still, not even. For me, I think just because I've read a lot of cozy mysteries, it was very clear, like, okay, I think this would be this would be the character here's who we're spending the most time with in the family just some of like the way that it was constructed led me to be like okay this is probably it but I don't know how and that was what yeah. was interesting to me it was like I don't know I think I think he's the puller of the strings but I don't know how right 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 um that's so, kind of where I was at it was like I I had a few suspicions mm-hmm. of like right somebody else has to be involved in this but i could that was the same thing it was like i couldn't figure out how but i was glad that you know it sucked that she thought she did but i was glad that marta didn't actually kill him but yeah uh, yeah it was it was a weird it was an interesting plot and i always thought that uh i thought that um Benoit was going to find the notebook. What happened to the notebook that um, uh, Harlan was writing about the morphine in? He was like writing down how, how morphine could kill someone. Where did it go? That should have been found question. somewhere. That's a good question. Interesting. And I, I don't remember that point, but yeah, interesting point. Should we get into our best lines and worst lines? Sure. Did you, did you have a word? I've got to say, I really don't, I really couldn't come up with a, a worst line. I just couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I like wrote one down. I mean, you're right. The script is so airtight. It's so well done. Um, I wrote one down. Like I watched it again and I was just like, I'm just enjoying watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote one down because it was just like, eh. Um, like it was just an eh line. I wouldn't say it was like the worst line. It's like what, so the, the one that I put as like the worst line is when they're watching the footage of the, the like CCTV footage and mm-hmm. the like bumbly policeman is like, it's like a Japanese horror movie. I was just like, I mean, maybe, but like, it, it just didn't feel like a necessary line to me. Right. And I was just like, okay, that's, that's a line. It's, it was like, okay, that's a line. And so right, that right, was right. what I wrote as my worst line. But it's like really, as you've said, it's really hard to kind of put things together, you know? I had a line that was just borderline cheesy. I know uh, last episode I, I had real, I was not here for the cheesiness. 
This week, Mm-mm. apparently, I was because I couldn't really bring myself to make this I the mean, worst blind. Both of these movies have a lot of cheese in them. But <laughs> I just wrote this down as soon as I heard it, and I didn't know if I liked it or not. And I realized I did like it uh, when the detective says this guy practically lives in a clue board. I was mm-hmm. like, that's a little cheesy. I don't know. But then I was like, nope, I like it. <laughs> well, and given that we were also watching Clue, I think and it we was were like also really, and I watched it right after Clue. Maybe if I had watched them a little more like separate, I mean, I I double headed these. I, I didn't really need oh. to watch Clue. Honestly, I didn't. And tra- my husband was like, "You have to watch Clue to talk about it." And I'm like, "No, not really. <laughs> nope, nope, not really. not really." And I knew going in, I had a very good idea of what my favorite or what my best lines contenders would be and i knew what my worst line contenders would be and that's what it was and i really didn't need to watch it to talk about it but is there ever do you ever really need an excuse to watch it no but i was like but i'm gonna watch it because why would i not watch it right that's just a stupid decision to make Mm -hmm. if the question of am i gonna watch clue or not watch clue comes up not watching it is wrong it's the wrong answer so I yeah. watched it um, and then I immediately watched Knives Out. Um, so, you know, maybe if I hadn't watched Clue. No, I think I still would like it because because let's let's also talk about I am obsessed with the board game Clue. Yeah. So even if I hadn't watched Clue the movie, even if I did not know about Clue the movie, I still would have liked that line because it's, a, it's one that I wrote down. I it's love a great line. Clue board game. I am a huge board gamer. I I own probably 250 board games, and let me tell you that there is a a giant giant gaping hole in the board game and tabletop gaming world when it comes to logical deduction games. Um, have you played Scotland Yard? No. Okay. Well. That's another, that is another podcast for us, but um, we'll talk about that. My, I just have a comment about Clue the board game. I love that game. I mean, again, I I love love anything mysteries, but I have like a distinct memories of being like a nine year old playing in Bethany Carvey's house playing Clue. And Mm -hmm. I always had to be Miss Scarlet. And I think it was probably just the two of us, but I always, there's always somebody who has to be Miss Scarlet. Um, that's me. But I always did Miss Scarlet in a British accent that I think was probably (laughs) terrible, but there's like nine year old me because I was like ever the actress that I did. Like, you know, I always did Scarlet with a British accent. So that's my Clue the board game comment so is that I, your best line then the i mean the guy practically no no his... that's what i oh, okay. if i had to be forced to choose a worst line i guess oh, on the okay. basis of being consistent with, with my cheese with my okay. cheese that would be the worst line that would be okay. my worst but i don't want to so, do it so don't okay so don't make me do it so jessica has no <laughs> worst line for this movie mine is just a meh line um what okay so what um what was your best like, I just I just need to put out a a statement here that um I really love that what I love what Ryan Johnson Ryan Johnson wrote this screenplay um Yes. I really love how he was able to capture this very literary type uh dialogue just mm-hmm. from one character and make it work 
Yeah. He's the only one. Benoit Blanc speaks like someone from a 1920s mystery novel. He speaks like an Agatha Christie character. Absolutely. Yes. He speaks like a a detective in an old-timey mystery book would speak. And it works. You don't ever question it. It's so perfectly balanced in a way that, like, yes, I could imagine somebody speaking like that. Not that I've ever heard anybody speak like that, but this this is so plausible. This character is is really not. It's a very it's a it's obviously a caricature of these Agatha Christie detectives um, and investigators, but he somehow really makes it just modernized and balanced enough that it's like yes i buy this as a person <laughs> i buy this as a per- and uh, clearly everyone else did too everyone else bought this man as a real person enough that he w- is getting a sequel <laughs> he we two will be sequels. getting an- two two sequels they yeah signed they signed on for, for two, two. Oh, mm-hmm. so I so um I knew even before I watched this movie, I knew they were making a second one. Um, yeah. And apparently it's coming out potentially this fall and Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. One of my friends, actually, um, one of her good friends is a producer on it. Nice. So, yeah, so I really love this character. And I just want to say it was very hard to choose because there is an abundance of very poetic literary lines coming out of this man's mouth just like they just hit you like boom one after the other and it's like everything that he says is beautiful and poignant and and deep and mm-hmm. and it works you you're not questioning why this man is saying it like that right it's because it's just who he is and i think it's great i think it's a fantastic character i would love to see daniel craig get more recognition in in terms of accolades for this character and i think you know hopefully as these movies go on he will grab a golden globe or something it's just a fantastic character i am he's so really impressed so well done um i think every line i wrote down most of them were benoit blanc lines um so So, go for it so this is a half of a of a line. I'll just read the whole thing, actually. But I really just like mm-hmm. the end, the second half of it. And he's talking to the great grandmother, uh, who barely speaks a word and hasn't spoken a word in the present timelines. We've only seen her speak like two lines in a flashback. Mm-hmm. And no, she has not spoken to anybody in the present timeline since Benoit Blanc has arrived. Okay. And he's talking to her and he says, one thing I do assume of age is weariness. Damned if I don't get more tired every day. Tired of what I do. Following arcs like lobbed rocks. The inevitability of truth. But the complexity and the gray lies not in the truth, but what you do with the truth once you have it. You can't see my face right now, but I'm like, we need to make how many times can we choose the same? <laughs> Probably a lot. And I think that means that we're right. You know, we're right. We're right. I mean, the inevitability of truth. I mean, <laughs> it's completely subjective. And we both chose the same best line. Um, 
it's a, yeah. yeah. Why did you like, choose? We're it? Trying to decide what we each think, but also we're trying to be right. And when we both choose the same one, obviously. Why did you right. choose it? God, it's gorgeous. It's perfect. It's it's because it's very meaningful for life for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's overlooked. Yeah. Truth is like a weapon nowadays. Truth is like this holy grail that is seen as this tangible thing that we can get our hands on, but but then yet nobody knows how to handle it once they have it. And it just becomes becomes this weapon that you just like lob at everybody and, and everybody gets their own idea of what the truth is. So then it's not the truth anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and it is treated like this black and white thing. We're joking about being right, but we're not right. There's no right and wrong. There is so much gray area. There's so much complexity in every single thing i'm not talking about like ethically right and wrong obviously those things exist um <laughs> but but you know in an argument a right person and a wrong person a truth and a lie that's not always the thing it's right. generally not a thing and what gets overlooked in this quest for the truth is everything else in in this you know gray field of life (laughs) and i think that just sums it up like very very succinctly and in in like gorgeous prose way better than i did like trying to (laughs) explain it um and the inevitability of truth is that there there is some actual truth out there and and you can't avoid it absolutely i think it the will, reason i ch- it will come out it will catch up with you and if you're holding on to some false truth you're not going to escape the real one yeah i think for me what the line it was it, a, a beautifully constructed line just absolutely poetic like the complexity and the gray lines lie not in the truth but what you do with the truth once you have it i think it's interesting because there are so many situations where there is no truth and your truth is based on your perception, your reality. And like, you know, my truth is going to be different than somebody else's. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, that's really real. And that's what causes conflict and causes all these things. Um, But there is also objective truths. Like, Uh and like, how do you move forward once you do that? And we see that so much in today's age, like there is a truth out there for like climate change is true. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what do you do once you have it? And so it's just so interesting. Like the, the, the gray area isn't the truth. It's what you do with the truth once you have it. I think, I mean, there are so, there are many situations where there is no universal truth. But for those that are, I, I thought that line was just so adeptly and well done. And, and part of it too is like this movie, like, yes, did Marta, did the reason Harlan slit his throat was because she, he thought that Marta administered morphine. Yeah. But Blanc also is like, you know, the, the justice in that situation, what it wasn't going to be punishing Marta. 
like she was doing her job. She was the good person in all of this situation. And so, you know, when he comes in and he's like, no, it's a suicide because like yeah. really, truly it was like he uh-huh. knew the truth and how is he handling the truth? Right. And, and that's kind of where I wasn't sure the whole time I had a suspicion that mm-hmm. he knew exactly what happened. And when he said that, I was like, oh, he knows. He already knows all of it. He knows that Marta did something and is just playing along with him because she's too afraid to tell the truth. Yeah. But but also, that truth wasn't the whole truth. And that truth was not something he was going to do anything about until he had the full picture. So I think it's very meaningful for like his character in that movie too. Like if we want to talk about lines that sort of sum up what's going on in the movie and that character, you know, from the minute you see him and he's, what is the piano thing? <laughs> is he, oh, is yeah. he doesn't want to talk and he's just saying like, okay, I'm done with them. Yeah, I don't know. I but so. can, yeah. I just love it. It's so out. well done. It's so well done. <laughs> so from from not necessarily his first line or his first step onto the frame, but from his first little ding on the piano, it's like he knew he mm-hmm. he had a version of the truth. He had a picture of the truth and he was choosing the whole time what to do with it. Yes. Um and when he said that, I was like Okay, he knows, but he knows he doesn't know everything. He knows there's, like, more truth. He knows the inevitable full truth will be there, and he just has to choose what to do with the truths that he has until he gets there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it just, it sums up so much of this movie. Um, I did have some honorable mention Benoit Blanc line, since we both chose the the same line somewhere like just I thought funny lines and some I thought were just you know really well well constructed lines I thought one of the one of the funniest lines that he has is Harlan but like when when Ransom is like this is our family house or whatever he says like being very like this is my like legacy and Blanc is just like, like oh Harlan, come on Harlan <laughs> bought this house in the 80s from a Pakistani real estate yes. it was just like <laughs> my god like you're so pompous um and then i think one of the lines that he says to marta and this is before the line and this is why like you know once he has the truth he's like he does i trust your kind heart also you're the only one who had nothing to gain from harlan's death that really encapsulates how he's treating her and how different he's treating her than everybody else is and then my other like just favorite moment in the movie (laughs) when Chris Evans goes on his eat shit rampage. Yes. Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. And Michael it's Shannon just... goes, I am not eating one iota of shit. That was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> it's so good. And then, it, and then they, they cut away and then they cut back. And he says, maybe Harlan left you a cold glass of milk in his will, asshole. I just love that. Because they had just been so talking good. about how he's not in the will. I oh, Michael Shannon going on that rant was a comedic highlight in the oh, it was so it's funny, so good. And I like J- Jamie Lee Curtis says this might be the best thing that can ever happen to you. Like it's so so good. It's yes. it's so good. Thanks, um, oh, my mother. Everyone, <laughs> my mother. Um, it's just so like as we've said before. I mean, 
you know, in our last episode, we talked about Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Yes, like, Tony Collette. Uh, Tony Collette. Hey, I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> like that, the BBB level of the level of detail in that line that just yes. encapsulates what that character is. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article. Like not even yeah. I read a New Yorker article. It's, I read a tweet. It's like that's so neoliberal. Yes. Influencer. Like one of the. Um, have you seen her Insta or she's an influencer? Like it's just you know who yeah. that character is. It yeah, just, exactly. The script is so well crafted, and it's those little details that you know each character. When Don Johnson quotes Hamilton, and you're like, "Fuck you, asshole!" Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Immigrants, we get the job done. It's like, oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> um, like one one other line that really tied in, I think to our favorite line. And I don't know if you had this written down anywhere. Um, but when Benoit Blanc says physical evidence can tell a clear yep. story with a forked tongue. Have that I, one too. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like exactly what we're talking about. It's like, you can make, you can make anything tell the story you want. Mm -hmm. You can take any, and, and we've seen it a lot especially like with climate change, like you've talked about and, uh, and with this pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. people can take one sliver of one piece of data and tell one story yep, and present that as the fact I have evidence. This is the truth. This is a fact. And then you can take a completely different chunk of evidence and yeah. tell a completely different story. And that's, you know, God, it makes it, makes it very hard as just a normal person to navigate to your own truth. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. What the hell are we supposed to do with 20 different versions of the same evidence? We're not yeah. equipped for this. No, absolutely not. And, and that's why I, I, what I want, I guess, people to know <laughs> what I hope that people become okay with for us to all move forward is like, it's okay to be confused. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to admit that you're changing your mind. It's okay to say that you don't know or you don't know enough. Like that's all okay. What is not okay is to say, I'm right about everything. And mm -hmm. I'm never changing my mind. And right. we have a whole lot of that <laughs> going on and not very much of the other thing. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's exhausting to me. Yeah. And, I, and it is very hard for me to put myself in the shoes of somebody who thinks that way. You know, uh, me as a person who sits here constantly questioning everything and hoping that I'm write about the couple things that I have control that I actually have control over in my life you know oh my gosh I absolutely absolutely how, I, how would it feel to be that person who just like goes through life just knowing that you've never made a mistake you don't need to question anything and you're right all the time my I God. think I would be an insufferable oh, person yeah. I mean <laughs> I mean, I would like to have like a little bit more confidence in my decision making, right. but like, you know, I think I would be an insufferable person, but like, it's just so interesting that that's like, you know, going back to both of these movies, they both 
kind of deal with some idea of truth and like what that is. And it's so yeah. interesting that they both like play with it in different ways because like getting back to it, like the bo both, I mean, the genre of cozy mystery is there is a truth. And it's so mm -hmm. interesting because like, you know, it never happens as one of the things that about cozy mysteries where I think they get a lot of flack and, you know, deservedly so is that they tie up with a bow and you know exactly how it happened and who did it. And like, as I said, Jessica Fletcher, Angela Lansbury is like, smiling and laughing at the screen, you know, despite the fact that like, she was almost killed like 10 minutes ago. Right, right. And somebody did die. Two people, right. three so, people sometimes. <laughs> exactly. And so like, I mean, I call it lighthearted murder and jest, but like, you know, that is what it is. And because it wraps up with a bow, there's a really great book called The Sherlockian, um, which is about like a Sherlock Holmes society. And it's, you know, talking about this idea, but it's by Graham, um, Graham Moore, who wrote the movie um, Imitation Game. Yes. <gasps> he wrote the imitation that. game. He wrote that, that and he wrote um, The Last Days of Night, like some of my okay. favorite books. Mm -hmm. And so the Sherlockian, he talks about kind of like the whole idea of like the trope of Sherlock Holmes books or Agatha right. Christie or any of these cozy mysteries is that it wraps up in this bow of truth. Like we know what happened. There is a known. And like for somebody with high anxiety like me, I like that. Yes. Um, but very rarely in life is there a wrapped up bow of truth. Like that just doesn't exactly. happen. I mean, like you see that with this, the obsession with like cold cases and, you know, true crime. We get, you know, I followed serial religiously and, you know, it didn't end with a bow because it's real life. Right. And you want an answer, but the answer isn't always there. And so I think this whole speech about, you know, going back to the line that we both chose, is like the truth, like what is the truth and how do you find it? And then what do you deal with it? Both of the movies are looking at that in like kind of different ways because like with Clue, we get three different endings of what the truth could right. be and mm -hmm. very farcically so. This has comedy moments, but it obviously is a heavier, more... I mean, not heavy, but like a more serious tone, a more philosophical look at the same genre. And I think they both just examine it so well. I am super excited about the next two movies, A, because I love the genre. And I'm just excited mm -hmm. to see like what Ryan Johnson does with this form and the script, because I, I think there's a lot of comfort in the like wrapped up with a bow, but he also very, like, very much makes you think throughout it too. And it's not as Yeah, yeah. It was, it didn't feel like, yes, it followed the formula. Um, it, it did everything that this type of film should do just perfectly, mm -hmm. but it didn't feel like that's what was going on, you know? Right. And that, that is doing it very, very well because sometimes I can watch, you know, like I don't really watch a lot of mystery like big like we were talking like suspense thriller type mysteries i don't watch that no, kind me of neither. Stuff. but you know a little bit more lighthearted, cozy even full-out comedy or satirical or whatever i will watch those and sometimes it's kind of, or or you know any a lot of television series that don't present as mysteries still will use in some episodes or in most episodes like an encapsulated typical mm -hmm. cozy mystery format yeah. And and sometimes it's just like this isn't, you know, I see what they're doing, but I already know like there's too many clues. It's just too obvious. And mm -hmm. this sort of goes with the okay, we're going to make it, you know, air quotes, too obvious. Mm -hmm. And by doing that right up front and by really like I almost felt like like over explaining what happened and putting so much detail out there right off 
the bat, I was like just knocked off my feet for the whole thing. Just like, what is going on? Why? It plays where, with where is yeah? It it it's very good. I am very excited. I'm glad I finally watched this. I am. You are welcome. Glad I, I finally would... watched this. Thank you. And I if we are a we will have to score, do a watch party for the second one for sure. Absolutely. If we're keeping score of movies that I made you watch versus movies you made me watch, I would like to say I'm winning because I you made you winning. watch Dives Out and you made me watch House of Gucci. <laughs> and I made you watch Annette. You did. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you um, were willing. And I was willing. We chose well, to watch that one together. It wasn't for a podcast at the time, and it won't ever be. Um, <laughs> but it I was like, my recommendation. <laughs> and I think you were kind of like, why? why? Well, I didn't know anything about it. You said, <laughs> said it was a musical. And I was like, okay. Um, but in any case, I'm glad that I did not steer you wrong with Knives Out. All right. Well, I'm going to try to even this score whenever Great. we watch My Cousin Vinny. Great. Then I Maybe think that we'll is tied. Okay. Great. I can. I will. I will take that. Um, I think. <laughs> I think on that. That wraps up. Yes. This. We had a lot to say about we both did. of these movies and some we knew, very we lovely. Knew we, would. we knew we, we knew would. we would. We always do. So, what are we doing next, Jess? Next. Um. Looking at the year 1985. This is the year I was born. A great so year. So if you're good at math, you know how old I am now. Um, if you're not good at math. Age is just a number. You know, I'm just somewhere in my 30s. I think you can mm-hmm. probably get that far with it. Um, <laughs> so 1985 was a huge, huge year for iconic movies television shows and cult classics that are still still going hard today having uh resurgences for good reasons and not so good reasons yes uh we'll be looking at some golden girls my absolute yes (laughs) we will be watching back to the future one of my favorite films i mean and a lot of Lots of discussion around that movie. Again, we know there's a musical right now, and yes, there's a musical, and I've been seeing mixed reviews about that. Very yes, we'll discuss that too. And Breakfast Club has been popping up in various places as a movie that we all thought was good and is not actually good. So I would (laughs) like to. I would like to revisit it with a more analytical eye and see. I I don't think I've watched it in probably 15 years. But like when I was a high schooler, I thought it was the shit like every high schooler does. Or maybe they don't. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to revisit it and see if it holds up as a as a you know, a solid film without the watcher being filled with the sort of angst that's represented. So if you want to play along with us for episode three, you've got your, uh, your watch list there back to the future and the breakfast club. And we will get an, uh, a episode of golden girls for you up on uh, the social medias 
And you can watch that if you'd like. And uh, yeah, and let us know what your best Best line, line. worst line, favorite lines, funniest lines from Clue and Knives Out were. And we look forward to seeing you next time.